Good morning. It's a Saturday morning here with the ancient Texan and his lady, the possibility coach. We're going to do something a little more serious today. Uh, We're going to look at the current state of education. This will be mostly mostly my lady's show uh, since she's in education. How are you doing this morning? Pretty well. I am my brain is going on the dilemma that schools and the whole educational system is facing. And it's everything is up for redesign right now if people could see the possibility. Or they can just hold on and hope that they can put the status quo back in place. But I think that's a mistake. Hmm. So, what's happening in the schools right now? Or well, I guess there is no schools right now. At, at yesterday when I looked, 45 of the 50 states have closed schools. One of them has closed them permanently till the end of the year. That's Kansas. So far, that's as of yesterday. But it, um, Education Week has a map, and they update it twice a day. That's how fast things are changing. Well, well, uh, universities, which is oh. not the current subject, our, our daughter's home. Yep. Uh, for the rest of this semester. Yep. Till July or August or something. So, University of Maryland. So I'd like to look at. There are three arenas, three different kind of populations that this is impacting and describe the scenario of those three and what's happening and then look at the possibility. How's that sound? Works for me. Okay, so first let's talk about teachers. I mean, as as an inclusion coach, I, my whole career, my consulting business is all about helping teachers become more effective. So I think, and I have been a teacher now for 50 years. So I think about teachers a lot. So let's look at the, so I know there's a whole range, but there are some teachers that are designing creative, amazing um, classrooms where kids are in working in small groups and kids are inventing and kids are using technology and like you know, if they have a special ed teacher or a speech language teacher or a teacher for English is not the first language, they've got all these different professionals. They've done some amazing things. All of those lesson plans are now obsolete. Of course, on the way at the other end of the extreme, we have teachers that are pulling out the same lesson plan they've used for the last 25 years, but those are obsolete too. Uh, no, they were already obsolete. Yeah, well, they were, yes, but but... If you're a teacher, suddenly business as usual is not happening anymore because your kids are not in front of you. They're off in their homes. And so as a teacher, what do I do now? They're looking for, um, they're looking for, what do I do? Am I just, is this just a long sort of spring break? 
and then I'm going to go back to business as usual or are things really different? So somebody has to help these teachers. Um, I know a couple of them have reached out to um, their kids. They've set up a free Zoom conference call account and they've reached out to kids or they've called them. How are you doing individually? That's not sustainable. If, you, if you're a middle school teacher and you have 120 kids, you can't call 120 kids. There's so, but so they need, so, you know, do we have a short-term solution or a long-term solution? I don't know, but there, so teachers are the first group. Okay. And the second group? Second group is homes. What's happening in homes? So suddenly kids are home. So let's say they've said, all right, we're going to call this spring break and it's going to be two weeks or three weeks. Well, spring break is when you go shopping, you go have play groups, you go on family trips, you go maybe to the beach or the mountains or you visit grandma or, you know, spring break is where you can go off and be with your friends. All of that, nope. You have to stay six feet away from your friends. Playgrounds are closed. Libraries are closed. Big malls are closed. So you stay home. No sleepovers. No sleepovers. Yeah. So kids, you picture everything from preschool up to high school seniors. Like, don't get in your car and hang out with your friends. Nope. Well, also... I mean, some of those homes, maybe the parents aren't even home. Okay, so let's talk about the parents. So in some homes, um, let's go one end of the extreme. We have parents who have been homeschooling, so this is business as usual. Or you may have parents that are stay-home moms or dads who are there when the kids come home from school, who fix them a snack and who say, tell me about your day. What did you learn? Let's get your workout and we'll do it together. These are parents that are used to having in-depth, heart-to-heart conversations with their kids. I think there are very few of them, but there are still some. At the other end of the extreme, or someplace in the middle maybe, we've got parents who are now home because their place of business has said everybody's going to work remotely. So here are these parents trying to figure out how to use remote, how to do their business by remote, and kids are running around while they're trying to be on a conference call, or they're trying to sit and do the company bookkeeping, or they're trying to do, well, so how do they juggle being a parent and being an employee. And then you have to remember some of those are not parents. They are a single parent yes. that now has, which is already an impossible job. Yeah. It's made harder. And then, yeah. And then you have the parents who are home because their p- place of business is closed. They're, um, they are a uh, restaurant waitress or they are, uh, you know, some other non-essential business is closed, many of those places will not be able to pay them. So suddenly they're home, they have loss of income, and they have all kinds of other um, stresses and worries. So are they there to attend and be loving to their kids and to guide their kids? They're like, oh my gosh, not only do we not have toilet paper, but we may not be able to buy anything. They 
may also not have internet or computers and all of a sudden they realize their kids being left out yes and then you know they're the people that have worked three part-time jobs they're they're cleaning services in a hotel but the hotel's closed because nobody's traveling or they're a flight attendant and they've been laid off i mean they're suddenly and what's the culture been like at home are these parents that when they were home they took kids to music and sports and faith-based activities and so they'd have brief conversations in the car and then they'd be on the sidelines or they'd be waiting for the kid to finish the lesson or whatever so now all of that stuff is finished and the parents and kids are looking at each other going oh what like how do i have a conversation with my child how do i find out what's going on with my child whether it's you know a second grader or a 16 year old that you haven't talked to in years really so there's there's a crisis happening at home this is business well, as usual is different well i would guess that in the beginning it's not so much a crisis because it's new and it's different and they don't have to go to school and it sounds like fun but this short honeymoon period is probably winding to an end and the reality is setting in both on the parents and the and the kids yeah and it's probably going to get worse in many cases as time rolls on so then you add in that most families are not typical families so if you have a child with a disability who needs the structure of what the school has to offer and they're in the middle of learning new behaviors do the parents now pick up on that that schools are required to still provide special ed services if they provide education for any child they have to provide the special ed services that a child needs but you know what what if it's so how do you do that at a distance right and what if the child is just starting to learn english because it's an immigrant family and the family does not speak english and the child has been making some progress with english now what how is that going to be continued well you know if it's if it's temporary for two weeks but yeah looking at other countries this does not look like a two week shutdown to me well it sounds pretty hopeless to me okay now let's look at the third group okay what the, the third group is school leaders principals district superintendents these are the the people who manage the system now they're used to walking through the school to see if teachers are doing a good job they're used to looking at the data to see if test scores are going up well there's not going to be test scores they're not going to be taking tests because it's all done online and if kids don't have access that's not going to happen and who's going to supervise them taking the tests and all that so we're not going to have test scores principals can't walk through classrooms teachers are not sitting with principals looking at what are the latest strategies and high leverage practices and how can we embed them in our so well you just lump two groups together though those with technology and those without yeah because like ones with technology there could be test but supervised state testing not necessarily but you said testing period yeah okay yeah but that but that's a dilemma to be faced so we're we're in the part now where we're looking at all the dilemmas you're right there are the kids that have 
computer access and have uh, internet, and then there are the families that don't. And so school leaders, since they're the group we're talking about right now, have to grapple with, if we offer something to the kids in our school or in our district, how are we gonna make it equitable? So it's offered to everybody. And is there some training that's gonna be needed like there are some schools that are saying, okay, we have ordered um, um, Chromebooks. Chromebooks or other kinds of devices, tablets. tablets, come pick them up and we will pay for internet for the next, you know, from now till June or something like that. Okay. So how do they get the word out about that? How do they distribute them and how do they do it so that they're not distributing virus? So... We know what are we... about the coronavirus, not a virus on my computer. Well, maybe all of the above, but yes, I was talking about coronavirus. So here's a dilemma: Are we just some some school leaders are going to say, "All right, let's just hunker down, weather this"? Like let, we're going into a um, a cyclone. What do they call the a tornado? cellar or something we're going to just go down let the storm pass then we'll come back up and have life as usual well that's a possibility but kansas has said schools are closed till the end of the year there will be no more grading um parents will have the choice of whether kids will go to the next grade next fall assuming schools open or whether you want to have them retained in the same grade. And by the way, if you're a graduating senior, you've now met all graduation requirements. Presto, you are now graduated. And there'll be no more state testing or any kind of testing. That's what Kansas has done. They're the first state making a decision about the rest of the year. Wow. And then what happens in the fall? Because all the kids will be back. They will have lost a lot of the skills assuming schools open in the fall and you know so anyway that's the dilemma looking at it from the point of view of oh my gosh what are teachers going to do oh my gosh what are families going to do and oh my gosh what are schools and school districts going to do you're calling it a dilemma it seems to me more like a crisis yeah actually it's a it's a paradigm crisis because, you know, the definition of a paradigm is the rules that we used to function by before are all irrelevant and the skill set we had before are all irrelevant. In this new scenario, we have to have a whole new set of thinking, new rules to operate by, new tools and systems. And I think, I think we're there. I think it's a, ch- a chance for a paradigm shift and we can stumble into it or we could be strategic. And I have some ideas about that. Okay, we're gonna take a short pause, have a little coffee, and we'll be back in just a moment. Yo, this is the ancient Texan back here with this lady, the possibility coach or the inclusion coach. We've just been talking about the dilemma uh, that education is facing right now with all the kids home for the, from the coronavirus. Now we're going to look at, you know, how could we use this time uh, to actually improve education and to change the way that we think about it. 
So we're in a paradigm shift. And can we at least hope that we're going to come out the other side of this uh, with a chance of our schools evolving? So what's your... You're somehow able to see something good in all this. Well, I think schools are making a mistake if they decide they're just going to hunker down, weather the storm, and then go back to business as usual. There's been a lot of agreement that schools aren't performing the way that we want. Employers are saying that the that new employees aren't equipped for the, the market the world that they are living in today. Um, there are a number of things that are missing in education. There, If you're looking just at test scores, there's such a gap between the kids that perform well and the kids that don't. And there's just so many things that people complain about and admire the problem and say, we're gonna put this Band-Aid on this Band-Aid on. Well, we have an opportunity to not put Band-Aids because you know that it's band-aids are inadequate we can stop and say let's rethink let's be strategic it's like that big reset button that you have yes. in some commercials is the big red button it's got reset so we have yep. a chance to set the reset button for education restart your computer and and let it reformat everything with the new updates so what would those new updates be now Big danger, flash, warning sign, warning sign. Vendors are going to give you, school leaders and parents, they're going to give you, here, use this. This will answer all your problems. Quick fix. Just, and we're going to give it to you free for the next two months. Great. Don't grab the first thing that comes along that has the, the flashy, shiny solution. Who is the they? Well... Uh, superintendents, school boards, principals, even parents. Oh, if I get this for my kids, this will solve everything. There, there are all these free offers out there right now that are temporary free offers. And there's going to be an uphill learning curve. And in the end, it's not like before you choose anything, stop and say, wait. Well, you're assuming they have the expertise to do that. Well, that's it. They, you don't have, well, nobody has expertise to choose because we don't, what are we looking for? It's like walking through, um, walking through an appliance store saying, what appliance should we, should we get? Well, what do you want it to do? Do you want to wash clothes? Do you, do you want a, a microwave? You have to decide what you, what you're looking for before you pick the appliance. It sounds more like, what are those shops you go to where they, they're out in the field? Um, oh, a chop shop where they have all the parts, automotive parts? Well, I wasn't thinking of that, oh. but it's also like where you go, uh, like at a county fair and they have all these little booths set up selling oh. you stuff. And Yeah. So you have to stop and say, wait, before we look at any of these vendors, and they, these vendors have great things to offer... You just want to know what problem am I trying to solve before I find the solution. So step back and say, what are the core values of education? What is education all about? We've been talking for a long time about inequity. First, it was racial inequity. 
then it's disability inequity, then it's poverty inequity, urban, rural, you know, all these issues. There's all kinds of inequities. Um, there, in the field of special education, which is my field, there's the, well, that kid has such a disability, he's probably not going to benefit very much. So, you know, we'll just put him in this classroom and give him the inexpensive solution. I, yeah. So I, it's like, can you, do you believe every kid seriously can achieve? Do you believe every kid has worth? Do you believe every family has value? Do you believe that every teacher could be an amazing teacher? Do you believe that kids even in this neighborhood can learn? Wow, I'm... We kind of skipped over there what education is for. Ah, okay. And I, I think of education as just a tool that helps you live life better. mentioned several different kind of inequalities uh, there ought to be a new name for one you know technology inequality because I guess they call that the technology gap or something like that well I, I just can't you know imagine functioning in this world without my cell phone and in my case my laptop and my desktop because I I do a lot of all my work or 90% of my work is done on it on a computer, but even if I wasn't so technology driven, I can't imagine uh, not having a cell phone. When I was up in Canada and my cell phone didn't work, uh, and I got stuck one night not having a cell phone was like, wow, this is a huge problem, and I don't know how people function, and families that don't have access to technology. I think they're just at such a huge disadvantage. You know, the school is not preparing someone to function in this world if, if we're ignoring the technology. So the technology is more than just access. It's also being able to use it in a wise way. So how just, um, so they actually call it um, computer literacy or or internet literacy. So if you do a, a Google search and you find a response to your question, are you getting it from a reliable source? And how do you decide, how do you discern whether this was a reliable source, whether this makes sense and so on. So, so yeah. So when you're talking about the outcomes of education, one outcome is to be prepared for um, like computer literacy. But there's something called the 21st century skill that uh, a group of businessmen put together. These are the skills that um, should be the result of a public education. And it included things like basic reading and math literacy, being able to do basic functions of math and being able to read and write and being able to communicate your ideas. But they also had interpersonal skills on there, being able to listen and um, being able to organize um, your thoughts and organize uh, an argument to say, here's my point of view and these are my reasons, but then to listen to other people's point of view and to uh, be able to 
do a comparison between, well, this person has this perspective, this person has this perspective, and my opinion is here. So, so if all this kind of thinking and reasoning, we've, we've moved so far past the days where public education was about memorizing facts and regurgitating facts. It's, it's about reasoning and thinking. And, but there's also a social intelligence, being, having empathy for somebody else's situation. And um, how is all that related to the coronavirus? Oh, great. Thank you for bringing us back. So if we pause and we say, what is, what is schooling really? What is education really about? While we are on this break, we're on school shutdown, is there a way to set up education that will promote those things? Not just give kids a worksheet where they can practice their multiplication facts. Okay, that there should be some of that. But is there a way that we can teach kids empathy, teach kids teamwork, teach kids reasoning and problem solving? and do it at a distance. Is there a way we can still have them connect with their peers? There's a lot of research that the best teachers are the ones that know how to, and not just know, but they actually do it, build a strong um, bond with their students, where the students know this teacher likes me, trusts me, believes in me, will stretch me to doing something that I'm not sure I can do, and then will encourage me and give me valuable feedback. So how do we have, how do we still have that? Worksheets won't do that. And how do we have, okay, so so there's the, how do we have the relationship between the teachers and the students and the relationship students to students still be strong and that still seems to me like that's the tech the people that have technology at home there's one answer to that question and then the other group that don't have technology my kind of initial reaction is well that's impossible with that group so then the if we know that technology could be the solution for that then how do we how do we provide that solution to the kids that are the have-nots? Well, I think the schools have to buy them Chromebooks or tablets or something. Because I, Otherwise, I do not see how that the people that don't have technology, it doesn't necessarily mean that people with technology, are they're going to do it there either. But there's at least a, a lifeline and a link to those people. Yeah. And, so let's just, so, so as the school leaders are thinking about the possibilities... We're not just going to hunker down. We're going to think about possibilities. We want to set up a system that will work now while schools are shut down that we could continue once schools reopen. We could still have, there are plenty of schools where kids have, they call them one-on-one schools where every kid has his own device. And um, if the family doesn't have internet at home, then the school buys them a year's worth of internet Um, and the kids are used to getting into groups 
online and working on the same document. If they're in person, they can talk about their thinking or they can add comments to each other through the technology. But then there's the whole other piece of how do we bring families in? How do we help families? There's so much research about the importance of the relationship between the parent and the fam- and the child, which it looks like is being lost now with how busy and frantic our activity is. Well, all of our activities have come to a, a, like a screeching halt. How do we... We can't tell parents how to be a parent, but we could give suggestions. We could give some guidelines. Most parents are doing the best they know with what they know. So have a conversation with your child about A, B, C. Give them, give them a few things. Give them some ideas. Parents will stop. Talk with their kids about that. Is there, I, I have been seeing on Facebook and Twitter that teachers are making little videos. Here, here's the story that we're reading today, and she's reading the story on the book, so this must be elementary. She's reading the story on the video, and then she says, tell your parent or tell your adult, whoever whoever is with you, what you think about blah, blah, blah. So she's giving the parents and the child some questions to have, and she's posting this video. So we've kind of made the jump here oh, that first solution. first schools are going to uh, take the responsibility on of getting technology to everybody. So we're kind of moving forward with the assumption that they've done that. Yeah. And then we're kind of looking at areas that the school can help. And the, and the first one is the school can kind of give a framework and some guidance on how to manage these times under the coronavirus and what kind of conversations they can suggest conversations and uh, a way to approach this time uh, with the kid. Right. And So if one of the core values was about equity, about we want to give everybody equal opportunity because not equal opportunity, but the appropriate opportunity, a child who doesn't speak English needs a different kind of opportunity than um, a child who speaks English quite fluently. So we want to give equitable opportunity to learning. So so we have to divide this big mass of kids into subgroups. I mean, they're already divided by grades, but inside of each grade, there are subgroups. There's... But let me question, does it need to be by grade? Could it be by learning chunks? So kids who are between the ages of six and eight because there could be some kids who are eight-year-olds who are really operating at the six-year-old so, so you could, doesn't, or, doesn't you could organize it of course how do you assess you know what group a kid goes into so right so this is instead of being organized by the uh, grade level you organize them by the skill level yes yes and and it could be different like I was always pretty good at math yeah I would have been a couple of grades maybe not I'd like to think so I've <laughs> been a couple of grades ahead of people in math but I might have been you know at that time I was pretty disinterested in anything else 
So, so you might have been in another group that was, yeah. Might and it be in a be, laggard group on some of the other and, subjects. And we call it flexible grouping, that you're not assigned to one group for the whole school year. You're assigned to that group while we're talking on this topic. Well, that sounds like a Herculean task, though, to set that up if you don't already have it that way. Yep, yep. But there are teachers who are able to do that in their classrooms now. There are skill sets to do that. So let me talk about a very exciting initiative called Personalized Learning. When um, No Child Left Behind was reauthorized and they called it Every Student Succeeds Act, it said every state should explore personalized learning. And then there have been documents that have come out. There have been research into personalized learning schools. The end of April, I was gonna go to um, the Innovative Schools Conference in Wisconsin to, um, uh, to learn, you know, I, I keep wanting to learn more and more about personalized learning and how it rolls out in schools. That conference is probably gonna be canceled, but here's how it works in a personalized uh, learning environment. Now, schools, traditional schools, thinking back to what was a month ago, um, go through three phases before they become this model that I'm gonna describe. You can't take a school and say, tomorrow you're a personalized learning school. Teachers need to make adjustments. Kids, families, school, whole school systems have to adjust. But here's what it would look like ultimately. You walk in in the morning, but now if it's operating from home or operating from some other environment, um, you you may be assigned to the an advanced math group that's going to look at math that would be used in the um, the aeronautics field. Because this, you, this is high school. This could be high school. It could be middle school. You have a group of kids that are really interested in aeronautics and they're interested in space exploration. So they're going to take math and they're going to do a project. Now, math is not a separate subject. Math blends with some field. So it's... Yeah, I was, when I was hearing that, I thought this is, there's a lot of supporting engineering yep. skills to do so, anything in aeronautics. So we've got engineering, we've got math, we've got science. There's going to be science related to that. There's probably going to be some English because you're going to have to write a proposal and you're going to be reading research and getting getting key information out of it. But you're going to do a project. Now, they take, if the state's a common core standard state, they sit, the students in this little group were going to sit down, but you could sit down over the internet with a teacher and say, all right, um, this is your teacher advisor. Now, the teacher advisor could be somebody who works at NASA along with a teacher from the school. And the kids are really curious about this question. They have like a research question. And they go back and they look at the Common Core standards and they say, okay, I'm gonna do standard one in English, which is write a, a research proposal. They're gonna do this these two standards in math. They're gonna do these standards out of so some schools already have these standards set up. Some of the, they have personalized learning set up where kids do cross-curricular projects 
and then so they so do could, so another school just go get the book that they've set up and the, a lot of these these uh, there are um, technology companies that have set up these personalized learning units but they're designed around kids interest it's called personalized learning because the kids personally have some say they call it they have voice and choice in how so yes the standards are set these are the skill sets that you need to graduate maybe it's linked with the 21st learning and maybe some of them are social emotional um, skills with the 21st learning standards so so the kids have these projects they're working on where you you don't have discipline problems when the kids are doing the project they help design so they're and working on this project they're and working on this project while and they're learning working on the project they learn the basic skills they learn they, the basic skills they have to learn some math and some english and right basic and they have to learn to get along with each other they have to listen to each other's point of view and you and i might be in this same group and you're interested in this little part of it and you have gone off and done your side research in this and i listen to you and i ask you questions you're my teacher about that i don't have to go and do that piece of research because I've done this other piece of research that I'm gonna, so I'm gonna link this to something that happened during the Cold War, because we have these history standards too, and I'm gonna learn something about the Cold War, and here's what happened during that, and I'm gonna tell you about that. You don't have to go and do research on the Cold War, because you've heard it from me. So what they've found that in these personalized learning environments, when the kids actually do the end of course tests, they score as well or better than kids that have sat through teachers doing many lectures on all these topics and teacher-led instruction. This is student-led instruction where the teachers are more advisors and they the kids learn to use technology, use their own problem solving. So physically, these kids normally would be in a little group in the corner in the classroom? No, the school is set up that they don't have like sometimes it's classrooms without walls. They have little conference rooms where kids, uh, conference areas where kids sit and work. A kid may say, there may be a group. So suppose this aeronautics project group has finished. They would announce to the whole school that they're gonna be doing their presentation on Thursday at 10 o'clock. And it's scheduled and any kids that are interested in this could come or maybe some kids, you really should go and attend that they might be but they're getting to hear their peers presenting on here's a proposal and the guy from NASA is present physically or is present um, you know, over the internet to hear the presentation and then he critiques it. Then they go back and revise it using his critique. So they learn that it, you don't have to be perfect the first time, which is a huge life lesson. Um, so, so like I'm painting a picture of a possibility where, and kids could be interacting with kids from another school. They could be interacting with a teacher who um, teaches Greek and they want to learn Greek from, you know, there are four kids in the school that want to learn Greek, but schools will then not have walls. But it, it, I can see, you know, some distant future, but the reality we're in now and yes. going to that sounds like going from one chaos to another chaos yes. to me. Are the teachers ready today to move into that? No. 
Are schools ready? Do they have the technology and infrastructure set up? No. Are the kids ready? Have kids learned to be self-sufficient, self-efficacious learners that will, you know, self-motivate? And no. So we are families ready to monitor this? So, but there. So I told what I described was phase three of personalized learning. There's a phase one where you give kids a choice about something and that you have them critique and learn to work. And, and so maybe it's in one subject or it's two subjects merged together where this teacher is still somewhat in charge. So while we have this experimental stage, schools are shut down. Let's say we solve the technology problem or even just with the kids that can be on technology for right now. What if we experimented with having kids you know, go off and do their own research on this and have the teacher, here's some, here's some guidelines for teachers to moderate kids doing this kind of thing. If schools like in Kansas, no grades for the rest of the year, no projects, you know, like you, you have the choice of going into the next grade or not. So this is experimental time. Well, though people that Kansas has essentially made the decision we're just going to hunker down and ride this out and we're not going to do anything yep and then we'll resume status quo they've already made that decision well i don't know if they've said resume status quo well i i so, just the attitude of they're making okay. a decision right so now if i were a principal in kansas or i were even if i were just a classroom teacher in kansas what if i reached out to my kids the ones that were on internet. And I did a little experimenting with this. I could like, I could design something and see how do kids respond? How does this work? What, what would it, there's like, this is like no fault. You can't, you can't lose when you're doing an experiment right now. So are there people on the other end of the spectrum? If Kansas City's a hunker down state, let's ride this out. Have you heard of anybody that's you know, going to let's use this opportunity? Well, I imagine that the schools that would be presenting at the Innovative Schools Conference, they're already doing this. They already have. I, I went and talked to principals of schools where they started with just their ninth grade and then they've expanded and the whole comprehensive high school is set up on that model that I just talked about. And that conference was full of schools that are doing it. So they're already doing it. They're now shifting, I imagine, from kids coming into the building to doing this all online. They already had kids doing things like, like there were some kids that were learning Japanese. They would go into the learning lab and put their headset on. They, so the Japanese teacher was some in some other distant place, but they had six kids that were learning Japanese with her. So, so all they have to do is get their kids links to the different places. They just say, you're not coming into the building. You're, these kids already have these links. Oh, you're right. They may have gone into the lab. Now they have to figure out how to, how to set it up so the kids could get on it from home. Yeah. That's, so that, that's a smaller problem. They've already right. got a structure. Right. And they're just re right. adjusting. The and that, that school, by structure. the way, doesn't have bells. And they've done it with middle schools and elementary schools. It was fascinating to talk to these people and what they're experimenting with. And when they do their state tests, they score as well or better 
than the comprehensive high schools. And teachers love teaching in these places. Kids are on fire to learn. So maybe you should call up some of these people and ask them how it's going. And we could oh, have I another like that. conversation. That would be a cool idea. So if I were a teacher or a principal or a superintendent right now, this is a time, there is a possibility of taking the old paradigm and designing a new paradigm. Just throw out the old paradigm. We're throwing it out right now anyway. It's it's obsolete. And go back to business as usual or start experimenting. Find, if you're a principal, get on, a, get on some kind of a conference call, Zoom or some other method with a couple of your um, creative thinking teachers and say, let's experiment. Maybe it needs, you need to have a bigger approach. Maybe there needs, you need to start a task force to help one school district switch over to uh, this new paradigm, this new model. That's an exciting idea. And here's the thing for me as an inclusion coach, I'm always focused on how do we help the kids with disabilities. If you have a personalized learning approach where kids are in an affiliate group of other kids that have the same kind of career field interests, like somebody might be really into nature and, and habitat and you know all that, fine, learn your English and your math and your everything related to that. Learn about governmental regulations related to that. So um, how do you have kids who have special education needs still function within that? How do you provide the adaptations for learning that they need, but they're highly motivated because they're in a topic area they've chosen? I I think the uh, accommodations that you add for them become invisible. So if they are online, instead of if they have a reading disability, and they have difficulty reading what's online, no big deal. You just turn on the audio and have the text read to you. All computers have that as an accommodation. It's available for anybody now. Well, I'd I'd also, if if you're in a group that has the same interest as you, maybe your disability isn't as, as, as important. Yes. Which, when you think about the end outcome of what... I love that, what you just said. Maybe disability isn't important maybe disability maybe your strengths and what you contribute are more important and isn't that more about the human values that we would like in our culture is our difference more important or what we can each uniquely contribute and what if that was the end result of this paradigm shift brand new world yeah Yeah, instead of they are the special ed kids that hang out in that classroom down at the end of the hall next to the cafeteria or at the far end of the gym where they don't interact with anybody because they're somehow, they're not as good as the rest of us or something. Yeah, they're defective, all the rest of that stigma. What if the stigma goes away? And yes, they learn differently, The brain research shows that most kids, only 2% of the kids with special education needs 
will not meet the state standards if we have our methods going right and if teachers believe that's possible. So, so we, we've been brainstorming here for a half hour, so we're okay. probably wearing people out. Okay. We could come back and do another session on another day. What would that session be on? Where, where do we go from here? I, I, I see a little, I, I'm still having trouble making the gap between, you know, the chaos that we're in now and getting people to use the chaos to change paradigm. But maybe what are the first steps? What are the first steps? Or maybe finding, as you said, contact some of those people that we're going to be presenting and see if they'd be willing to be interviewed. See how the how their schools are going and how they made the transition. Yeah. Kind of give people a model of what could be. And then the one after that, we could talk about, you know, here's the model of where we could be. Now, what's the first few steps in getting there? Anyway, we hope we've given you a few... Uh, things to think about mostly uh, from my lady and her expertise as the inclusion coach uh, so this is the ancient texting hoping uh, you use this time out given to us by the coronavirus to make your life and the life of those around you a little better and good luck on facing all the problems stay safe stay well this is the ancient Texan. Namaste.